This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, welcome back, everybody out there in listening. And this is episode 53 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back again this week. I know we're kind of on a week, off a week, but I told you that's the new format. So we're back this week, and we got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about in terms of the market, market action report, some news that's going on real estate-wise here in Portland. But I'm here with my co-host. What's going on, steve Hey, Tucker. Good to be back on the show. Actually, incredibly busy on many, many fronts, but all good. Well, not all good. <laughs> we'll get well, into that. You're going to get some good and bad, right? When you're busy, busy. That's, it's the real estate roller coaster. It's the way it goes. But things, but with are, that things said, are generally good. Yeah. With that said, maybe uh, let's take a minute and chat about it. What's what's shaking in your world? Yeah. So all kidding aside, there's just been some funky deals going on in my personal business. I'll kind of go into a few of them. Over the weekend, we have a listing over in Bull Mountain. It's about, it's almost a million dollars. It's $950,000 listing. Gated community over there. It's right by the 2011 Street of Dreams over there. It's not on that street, but it's like a block away. A great house. It's a 90s home. It's a gated community that has a uh, HOA with a swimming pool and some pretty cool amenities. Had it listed for a while. We got a contingent offer on it, and the people had the offer with the contingency, they were just struggling to get their house sold. And uh, it kind of seemed like they didn't have a lot of wiggle room on their price to bring it down. The story we were hearing was that they had great jobs. I think they were doctors, even both the husband and the wife, but they didn't have a lot of cash on hand. So they were kind of holding out on their price and doing very, very nominal price reductions and trying to get their place in escrow so that they could then turn around and close on ours. Well, we got a cash offer. I won't name the agent, but I'm not a fan. (laughs) Um, We'll leave them nameless for the sake of shit. Yeah. And uh, just how this went down. But we got a cash offer. And so we went ahead, and the cash offer was good. There was a slight counter just on escrow companies, actually. We also in our counter put that it was contingent upon us, the first party terminating. We then gave notice to the first party, and sure enough, they couldn't perform, so they terminated. And then immediately, I mean within hours, the cash offer agent informed us that her buyers had gone a different direction and with a different house. Really? So here – yeah. So here we are. We no longer have our contingent offer in place, and the cash offer is gone. I'm um, assuming you probably had some sort of a dialogue along the way with this. I mean, I know you guys always do, but it sounds like they just kind of unexpectedly pulled the plug after they got you to essentially commit and, you know, get rid of your other date. Hence why I'm not a fan, Tucker. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we <laughs> had a the dialogue. Now. There was nowhere, nowhere in there. Is, are we look? Hey, we're looking at other houses. You know, we're not sure if this is the right one. No, no. Hugely not a fan of this agent. I mean, okay. just completely. I understand now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> completely left us high and dry. We scrambled and went back to the people with the contingent offer and, and we're like, hey, you know what? That didn't work out. They're frustrated with the situation. They're taking their house off the market and they're like, no, we're, we're moving on. So we're back live and active and, and that's OK. I mean, I felt horrible for our sellers on that one. And 
you know, we explained it the best we could. So that happened. And, and I guess the lesson learned there is make sure, even though this would only have taken us so far, because if we truly were in contract with the cash offer, they could still have terminated if they changed their minds. So I guess the lesson learned there and, you know, in talking amongst ourselves is if you have a contingent offer and you're going to bump it, the best practice is to counter the people with the new offer and put them in a backup position a second position and once they're safely in that second position then terminate your first position but i mean who knows if that would have worked or or what that would have done because we could have done that and a day later they, they're still pulling the plug on us so that happened we had another situation this was with a buyer of ours we were in the 11th hour um, this was actually my preferred lender travis olson over at director's mortgage he did nothing wrong. This is a transaction we over 30 days in escrow. We've done inspections. We've done everything. We're ready to pull docs. Well, director's mortgage, probably like a lot of mortgage companies, does a final credit pull just to make sure everything is still looking good. They do that. He's 30 days late on a car payment and an old Navy credit card payment. So our first question is, why does this guy have an old Navy credit card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's no, I'm kidding. Right? Yeah. So we're like, what in the world? So the deal is basically dead in its current form. You know, he has no legitimate explanation for why he suddenly decided not to make payments on those items. And remember, you know, you know, credit like I do, Tucker, from our history in the mortgage industry. I mean, to have a late payment affect your credit, you've got to be 30 days late. And to be 30 days late, normally they're hounding you after about 15 days. I mean, you're yeah, getting, the phone, it's the not just ringing, you know, especially with yeah. the car, the car payment. They're like, Hey dude, where's the money? You know, where's the money Lebowski? Where's the money Lebowski? Right? <laughs> so, I mean, this wasn't just a, a minor oversight where, you know, it was a whoops and you know, it happens. I mean, this was just, this was a major oversight. The story gets more interesting from here, Tucker. So the clients are a boyfriend and girlfriend, and they and they have a kid together. And she's livid. She's livid. She's like, this is going to cost us the house. She's absolutely livid, probably somewhat rightly so. She may have been realizing that he has an old Navy credit card at this point and, <laughs> and, and second-guessing things. <laughs> second-guessing where he shops. So we start to scramble, and Travis you know, kind of swoops in. He's like, hey, we can fix this. We can take him off the loan. We can do an FHA non-occupant co-borrower, get one of the parents to co-sign, yep. kind of have a solution in place. We're moving forward for a couple of days in that regard. And then she pulls the plug. She goes, no, we're not buying the house. And we have reason to believe they might be breaking up <laughs> at this point. Ooh, so the old Navy credit card broke up the relationship. <laughs> <Sorry. No. laughs> Which is an absolute first for me. I mean, we've done plenty of transactions, you know, where there's divorcing couples selling a house. Never quite had one where a boyfriend and girlfriend or a husband and wife, for that matter, are buying a house and midstream decide not to buy and possibly are breaking up. So... A lot of excitement there. We we had another one. I have no good stories to Yeah, you got just the hit list this week, man. We're looking for I'm looking for a lot of sympathy from our listeners today. So we had another one, and this one was a couple that I met with, and we're getting ready to list our house. They had just previewed a home in Westland that they were madly in love with, ready to move into it. They want they wanted to get into a better school system. They were currently in the Milwaukee area. 
So we make a contingent offer on that one. We make a contingent offer on the Westland house. We get it accepted and we scramble to get their house on the market. Everything's going great. We uh, get their house on the market. In our contingent offer on the Westland house, they gave us like 10 days to get their home pending. Well, that didn't happen. They were slightly aggressive on their price. That was their their stance. So I, I kind of explained that to them. I said, okay, we'll work with this though. We had 10 days to get their home pending. That did not happen. We negotiated another extension of, I think, another 10 days. They're having repeated conversations, phone calls, emails, late night ones, like, how are we going to get this house sold? We really want the Westland house. And I talked to them about a price reduction. They were pretty adamant. No, they kind of toyed with it. They said, well, no, what if we do a small one? And then they finally said, no, we don't want to do one at all. Okay. On the, like, one of the last days, like we had till Wednesday to get their home pending, like Monday, we get a full price offer, Tucker. <laughs> wow. And do you know what these people did? What? They said, we don't want to sell. Oh my God. We had done so much on this transaction. And wow. she was, to be fair, she was almost nine months pregnant, ready to have a kid. I mean, she said they're like a week away from having a kid. And that was what played the role in that. Not that they weren't eight months pregnant you know, a month prior when they decided to do all this. So apparently, you know, that played a huge role in it. But again, another frustrating transaction. So, and you know, as I explained to them, I said, okay, I mean, this isn't about us. I mean, I'm not upset or annoyed that, that we're not going to make a commission here. I mean, that's the least of our concerns. We, we have a contingent offer on people who've been very patient with us and we're going to ruin their day, not to mention a buyer's emotionally fallen in love with your house, given us a full price offer. And now we got to inform them that we're not selling. So we unwound that one. That one, I do want to point out to our listeners before they, you know, send me flowers. <laughs> this didn't all happen in the last week. We haven't done one of these episodes in a few weeks, it feels like. So this has all happened in the last two, three weeks. But yeah, so that's what's going on in my personal business. There's a few good things, but I'm out of time to talk about my personal business. Let's talk about PPG a little bit. So we did have a crazy PPG story too. This also was about two, three weeks ago. Woke up one morning and one of the other partners here emails us and says, oh my gosh, our Facebook page is going nuts. We just got 20 bad reviews. Apparently one of our agents made a very, very obscene comment in a message on Facebook. That person shared it and people are going bonkers. I'm assuming um, they were linked to PPG as their employer, I guess, right? A brand new agent, brand new to the business, never had done one transaction. And the comment was just absolutely reprehensible. If anyone's interested, if you go to Premier Property Group on Facebook, I think there's still residuals of this. Now, we, we fixed this quickly and, and it all went turned okay. But I think you can see that comment somewhere. If you go and you go into the review section, I think if you fish around a little bit, you'll see kind of, I think you can see still what, what was said. But the crazy part of this, Tucker, was it was a private message. It wasn't somebody went onto Facebook and did a public post. Apparently they had a beef with someone. This was a female and it was another female. Apparently she had some kind of beef with her and some kind of, you know, confrontation. And so she sent her a private message of something that was just pretty horrific and the gal takes it and then does a screenshot of it and shares it and posts it there was just this huge movement within two hours tucker i've never seen anything quite like this or experienced it mind you 
Within two hours, we had a hundred bad reviews. And they were saying, How dare how can you employ someone like this? How can you have someone like this? Wow, and, she must have uh, she really let her have it or said something uh, highly offendable in her private message <laughs> to go that viral. I'll give you a hint. The victim, we'll call them here, the person who had the message sent to him had recently had a miscarriage. Oh. Yeah. And so Within two hours, we had talked to the agent and we sent their license back to the state. We made a comment on Facebook saying, you know, it's been brought to our attention that somebody said something. We in no way condone this, this horrific comment that was made. And immediately the tidal wave retreated and all of a sudden the bad reviews started coming down. We even started getting some good reviews. And when all the dust settled, everything was fine. But it was it was just an insane. It goes to show you. The, the lesson learned here for anybody and everybody is even private messages. The world of social media has really changed the oh, dynamics. Yeah. This was the, the closest thing you could have to like a, a mob riot, right? You know, in the old days, like 100 years ago, if somebody did something that infuriated a, a large group of people, they would maybe circle the, the building or the, the house or whatever. Or and just be corpse like, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah. ready yeah. to lynch the person. <laughs> but this was the social media equivalent of that and i'm sure it happens you know on a daily basis out there with other companies and other people but it really well, it goes happened, to, i mean we won't name the agent but it happened a month or so or so ago it's another yeah. big brokerage in town i mean you have to watch your actions and your words when you're a salesperson that's highly visible because especially if you're highly visible and it's not your own company if it's your own company you can tell people to pound sand and if nobody likes you they're not gonna do business with you but if you work for a bigger entity you know, they have to protect their reputation. They have to protect their brand. And so if you do something unadvisable or, you know, just not smart, you know, that may reflect poorly on that brand, they have no choice, but they got to let you go. You know, it's just the way it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyways, that was an, that was a uh, interesting and eye-opening situation that is just a good reminder to people. Just things move so quickly in the world of social media that you just, yeah, you just got to always, always act and write as if it's going to be visible to the entire world because you know what? It could quickly. The level of transparency between the world and our personal lives is getting thinner and thinner, you know? I mean, yeah. it, it's becoming a lot more transparent and for good or for bad, that's just the way that the world's going, so. Yeah. So one last thing I'll say about PPG before I'm finished, and this is actually positive. It's, Go back it's to the, the positive only side. positive thing I have to talk about today. And I've been working with our marketing team. We're doing a couple of cool things in all of our branches. We've got 10 branches now. We're working on a new one in Bend. We, we have a letter of intent out there. It's a really cool location. I won't get into that really, but one of the things we're working on is kind of like in the entrance reception area of our branches, we have, they're all going to have this commonality, which is we call it our marketing table, where we display in a very, very attractive format all the great marketing that PPG offers all of our agents. We even have a TV above it that has looping the various videos that we've created. Hundreds and hundreds of these videos just play in a, in a quiet loop. Of course, those videos, I've mentioned them in the past, they, you know, they have drone videography. We've got a professional voiceover. They're very, very well done. So we have a TV that's looping those. Underneath it, we've got a marketing table. It's, it has all the different flyers and, and trifolds and, and the welcome package that we offer. Very cool idea. And it's kind of intended so that if one of our agents has a client come in, they can see this very professional setup. Also great for recruiting. If, if a new agent you know, that's kicking the tires of PPG comes into the office, they're going to see this. And it's also great for our agents just to remind them, hey, you've got all this amazing marketing at your disposal. 
and reminding them that to use it and utilize it. So we've got that going on. The last thing we're also doing, another thing we're doing that I'm pretty excited about in our branches, each of our branches is going to have on the walls pictures, photographs, really, really well done photographs of local things in the area of that branch. So for example, in Newburgh, which is where we piloted this program, if you go into the Newburgh office, there's these beautiful canvases. Basically, one of our photographers went out to, you know, vineyards, wineries, buildings that have really cool appeal and some historic value. And he would take photos of this and then he would take them and, and blow them up on a canvas. And then we put that throughout the office. So it's a really cool way that we can kind of personalize each office so they don't all look the same, yet they still have a very common theme. And so, you know, in Lake Oswego, we're going to have pictures of the lake and the downtown first edition area throughout the office. Maybe yeah, we're going to do similar built things. Homes, something like that. What's that? Maybe TTM built homes. You know, there something you go. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's another cool thing that we're working on. And we've piloted it. We love it. And we're going to be rolling that out to all our 10 offices. That's cool. So, you know, we actually um, just bought one of those new drones that's being delivered where you can fly it at like 40 miles an hour and you can wear the headset so you can actually see what the camera sees on the drone, which is oh, kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah, we're yeah. going to use it for a lot of video and marketing and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's, it should be a pretty cool, cool toy. Yeah, yeah. you got to get registered. You know that, right? Yeah, I'm Dan's dealing with it. I'm I'm not, but we'll get it all figured out. So Yep, cool. But, so that's but, what I got, Tucker. I'll, I finished on a positive note. There was yeah. a lot of doom and gloom in there, but... Uh, well, you know, I mean... Shit happens, man. This is real estate. You know, that's the reality of it. It's not all easy peasy. I mean, that's why a lot of people don't make it. You know, that's. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, it's nice every once in a while on, on these podcasts to remind people that it's not all puppies and rainbows out there. I mean, even us guys who are doing pretty good in real estate, it happens to us and we got to deal with it, move forward, learn what you can and plug along. Well, I'll, I'll just tell a quick story and then we'll get into the what we're going to talk about, which won't take too much, but we'll talk about the market. But I've got kind of it's not a Debbie Downer story, but we'll call it a challenging story as well for this week. And it has to do with City Lake Oswego. And if you guys are listening, I love some of you, others, not so much, but you know who you are if I like you. So we just sold a house in Lake Oswego. Beautiful house. Great buyers. Agent to Broadham. Great agent. Everything was great. Well, it's brand new house, brand new everything. And so we obviously fence our yards, right? That's part of what we do. And it's a corner lot. House is set back off the street by a long ways. And we fenced the backyard that basically came up and abutted the back right corner of the house. So it's not like the fence came all the way up the side yard and into the front yard. Well, in the city of Lake Oswego, they have an ordinance that basically says that you can't put a six foot tall fence within 10 feet of a street, which basically means they don't want you to fence your front yard. So it looks like some sort of a mental institution, right? That's the idea behind it. You get what I'm kind of pitching here, Steve? Yeah. Okay. So I want to make sure I'm explaining it so our viewers can understand too. So the whole idea is if you're going to put a fence in your front yard, they only want it to be four feet tall, not six. So that then you could do like a four foot black chain link fence, or even if you do do a, a solid wood fence, it's only four feet. You can see the house. It doesn't look like you're, you know, a stay out kind of, you know, no trespassing dog will bite kind of things all over. It's trying, they're trying to make it look more friendly and kind of endearing, which I get, I get the point. Totally, totally get that. Yeah. yeah. So we sell the house. I get a, a letter or basically a, a very nice threatening letter. We'll say from the city of Lake Oswego that says that uh, one of the lovely neighbors in the area decided to report us for the fence that we installed, which Again, it doesn't go into the front yard. It just wraps the backyard. 
and it's a corner lot. So part of the backyard is exposed to a corner. And again, we don't go all the way up to the front corner of the house, just the back corner. So there isn't any visibility that's impeded. It, it looks very nice. It basically encapsulates your backyard, which everybody wants that to be the case. Well, the, the letter from the city of Lake Oswego says that we're within 10 feet of a city right away. So therefore, that fence line can only be four feet tall. It can't be six feet tall, which given the situation is a little absurd. But I decided, well, I'll take a closer look at the area and see if it's, you know, matching or if it's really does stand out. I was trying to be as objective as I could about it. Did you uh, say you had sold the house, Tucker? Yeah, it's already... I'd, so I'd sold the house. Now, I told our buyers because it was the day of closing that I got the letter. So we did a walkthrough with them and I told them what I was up against. So it wasn't like it was a surprise to yeah. them. I've been very open yeah. with them, too, which is why sure. I'm talking and, about it here. And, and you conveyed, hey, I'll deal with this. And if I have to fix it, I'll fix it. Yeah, right. Exactly. They have two children. They would prefer to have a six foot fence in their backyard so the kid can't climb out or it's just a safety thing, right? Your backyard, mm -hmm. you have kids, you have dogs. Everybody wants a six foot fence in their backyard. That's just mm -hmm. the reality of it, right? And so I said I'd deal with it and let them know how it goes. Well, so I talked to the guy who is in charge of fining you for things like this and letting you know that you have a violation. And we've unfortunately got to know each other pretty well over the years because we've had to deal with some other rather ridiculous neighbors over the years that have tried to make issue and they call him and he has to come in. So we know each other well. And I said, hey, man, you know, you need to be a little lenient about this. Can we meet? Can we talk? And he said, I don't have any power to do anything. If you want the fence to stay the way it is, you have to file for a variance. And I said, OK, fine, I'll file for a variance. But before I had that conversation, I drove the area and within a half mile of the house, there were eight other examples of fences like this. Eight. Wow. Exact same thing that I'm talking yeah. about on corners specifically because people's, you know, if their house is set up a certain way, part of the backyard faces the corner. So there were eight other examples of this that I found essentially in the Noss Road, Goodall Road area. And uh, he still said I had to file for a variance. So I contact my favorite planner down at the city, which it's nothing, no knock against her. But I wanted to try and prevent from having to go down there to stand in line, to stand behind every Johnny homeowner who wants to ask 85 questions and doesn't know how the process goes. And it ends up taking three hours to get a simple thing done down there if you go anytime other than just right when they open. And so she sends me back an email and explains that to do the variance. And we've gone through variances before where it's a building variance, size of house, height, big construction variances, right? And so the cost and the process for me to apply for a variance for this small section of fence height is the same as if I was applying for a variance to a building size or a footprint size. And so it's also cost me $4,000. So I would have to pay them $4,000 to just apply for a very small variance on this fence for it's basically a two foot height variance for a very small section of the fence. They want $4,000 and there's no guarantee that they would approve it. So when does the four foot fence going up? <laughs> well, so here's where I'm at, right? I mean, personally, I think it's a bunch of BS. They don't terrible. have a, a subsection of variances that maybe it's a $500 fee to make a planning decision, right? Why do they need to charge you $4,000 to make a decision on a two foot fence height, right? It, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. But being that there's eight other fences in the area where they haven't been picked on, and, and you know, I normally hate this kind of talk and whatnot, but I feel like we're being singled out because we're a builder. So somebody took issue to the fact that maybe we built the house there or they didn't like the way our subs parked or something. So they called the city. Well, the city, if they're going to enforce it on me, they need to enforce it on the eight other examples that I found literally within a half mile there that he would have, you know, the inspector would have seen coming and going to our property. But for whatever reason, he didn't care to stop and measure those. He just wanted to stop and measure mine and issue me the fine or the threat. 
Is this a newer rule and they're grandfathered in and that's why they're not being it's no. not being imposed on them or it's been the way it's I don't know when it was enacted, but I looked up all the lingo on it and there isn't anything about being grandfathered in. It would be a judgment call, I guess, from people, but there isn't mm-hmm. any actual lingo on it. So bottom line is I don't know exactly how I'm gonna deal with this yet. I understand from the homeowner's perspective, I, I just don't want to lay down for them and be like, sorry, you get a four foot fence in your backyard because it's it's just ridiculous, uh, especially if you saw the fence section that I'm talking about. But it just seemed like highway robbery to me that they want $4,000 for no guarantee that I actually get to keep the fence the way that it is uh, just for adjusting a fence site. Now, I've had to go through this process before for the size of a building footprint. I gave them $4,000. They gave me the variance. The neighborhood complained. They took my $4,000 and they retracted the variance. So they actually just kept my money and then told me, sorry, you're SOL. So it's possible I could give them the $4,000 for the fence. Somebody, whoever called him, could complain. If they do, then I have to go sit in front of the Development Review Commission, explain my case. They explain their argument, and the Development Review Commission could potentially rule in their favor, and I lose another $4,000. Isn't fixing that fence cheaper than $4,000, Tucker? It is, but at this point, it's kind of the principle for me. It's just yeah. it's so absurd that you know, <clears throat> if there was no other fences in the area, and again, it goes back to the point of why they have that code, right? And this doesn't really apply to why they have it, but the code applies to this because of the way it's written. And so there's a reason why there's eight other examples of this within a short area, because it doesn't get enforced because it doesn't really apply. Yeah. But, no, so it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It so doesn't make sense. It. You're, it, it, it's yeah. kind of out of principle that I'm going to yeah. argue this, you know, a little more because it just it just seems wrong. Like if this was anything other than government or city municipality that we were fighting against, we'd be like, this is ridiculous. Go pound sand. Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. because, you know, they are who they are, you know, sometimes uh, it's, it doesn't make it right, I guess. Let's put it that way. So I, I'm in the middle of figuring this out. I'll keep you posted. But basically a uh, highway robbery to apply for a variance to a small amount of fence height that I may not even get if I did give them $4,000. So, you know. Yeah. And this is Lake Oswego. This is your wheelhouse. This is where you do most of your Yeah. Building. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm nice to everybody, but obviously it's irritating at yeah. the same time. Right. So, you know, we have uh-huh. to balance all these things. But I more than anything, I feel for the homeowners. Right. Because that's why I'm fighting this. I mean, if it was purely just a matter of getting a pain in the ass off my desk, sure, whatever, cut the fence down, whatever. But it's their backyard. It's a, a road that has traffic right there. It's coming slightly uphill. So they stare into your backyard that way. So it's like if we cut the fence down, then we're just going to plant a hedge. So what the hell's the difference, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's my point. Good point. You know. So anyway. logistical question: If you indeed have to address this fence, you've said now twice, cut the fence down. Is that where you just keep the fence in place and you just cut it, or do you actually have to yank that fence and put it? No, in? we'd have to cut it. So it's at six feet. We cut it to four feet. The other caveat here is that they say it has to be if it's within ten feet of a city right of way, which they're calling Nos Road. The fence is actually twelve feet. So you know, there's some city property that borders the road they don't have a survey per se so they couldn't be as exact about it so i don't know i might go with that argument as well but yeah basically bottom line is i'd have to cut the fence down to four feet but then you can see into people's backyard so then we'd have to plant a hedge for them but then it uh, it's the same thing right it's just not wood but it's 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 a hedge so it's like well why why do it you know and this was a is this one of your high i mean this was a two million dollar house yeah this is a two million dollar house so you know i'm trying to take care of the homeowners at the end of the day it's about me yeah. Taking care of our buyers and, sure. and not just saying, sorry, I know this sucks, but city requires yeah. it. You know, it's if it was if I felt it was right, that's what I would tell them. But I just don't feel it's right. So that's why I'm yeah. fighting. 
So. Well, good luck with that. I'm sorry. That stinks. Keep keep us posted on how that turns out. But that's that's some of the stuff that we get to deal with on this side. So see, you know, it all it all <laughs> happens. It all evens out. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Anyway, enough uh, enough doom and gloom and and bitching and moaning. Let's talk about the market action report. Let's. Uh, I've taken a look at it. I know you have. What's your take on this week's or this month's uh, report? Well, it was interesting. It's it started the the verbiage is always interesting on these. It started with Portland metro area saw some clouds roll into real estate activity this September, which was an interesting way to say that. I didn't think it was terrible, but yeah, I mean, clearly, you and I have been saying this for a while now. I mean, clearly, the best of this market is behind us. I mean, that's that's. I don't think anybody would argue with that statement, and this absolutely supports it. A lot of things were down. More listings. Um, this was interesting. New listings were up 7.3% over September of 2015. Well, new listings is inventory, right? So more inventory is coming on the market. This was the most listings we've had in the month of September since 2008. You remember wow. 2008, Tucker? <laughs> yeah, I do. Not All a good well. market. No. So was... again... And it's not, and we're not talking a monstrous amount. No. Um, it's inventory still in check, but but it was interesting for me to see that this was the most listing since since 2008 and for the month of September. Pending sales are down, so you've got more homes coming on the market than than there's been, and then you've got pending sales and closed sales down. Not a huge number, 3.8 percent down for pending sales since September of last year. Down 14.1% since August of this year, but that's that's a little bit seasonal. A lot of things close in August, and you know, as you head into September, things tick down a little bit from that. So that that part is not such a big deal. Closed sales are down as well, down 6.2% compared to September of 2015. That's a pretty big number. I mean, 6.2% year over year for the same month. It's so it's not a seasonal thing. It's the same month, the same, just a different year. One year later, down 6.2% for closed sales. So yeah, I mean, in our personal business, we've been saying this for a while now, we're seeing more contingent offers. Our buyer's side of things are pretty happy. They're making more and more offers that are uncontested. On the listing side, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I gave the story of that one listing that has been out there for several months. It's it's a little unique because it's it's a high price point for Bull Mountain, almost a million dollars. You know, those sit a little bit longer, but our listings are they're moving, but they're taking a little bit longer and they're not getting the multiple offers that that a good example of that was the one that I told the story of that we were on the market. You know, that was a four hundred thousand dollar house in right where Milwaukee and Portland meet. It was a nice house. It was, it was nicely updated and had a good lot. And it sat for about two, three weeks without an offer. And then we finally did get one. So I think that's an, a good indication of this market is you're going to sell stuff, but it's just not quite at the speed of light as it was in the recent past. I'm not complaining about this market. I think I think I like this market. I like that our listing side, we're moving stuff. I think it's more conducive of sellers being appreciative of what you're doing. There was such a lack of gratitude there for a while when things were moving so fast that sellers kind of had that mindset, like, I don't need you. I don't need your marketing. I don't need to do anything to my house. 
a drunk monkey could sell my house. <laughs> and so those days, they're seemingly slowing down as the market kind of cools a little bit. Sellers are a little bit more appreciative. You can stand out over the discount brokerages better. And so we like that. And then on the on the flip side, on the buyer side, I mean, of course, our buyer's agents are happy. They've set their battle axe down on a lot of their transactions, Tucker. <laughs> yeah. Well, to put it how you would put it. Yeah. So I like this market. I'm not complaining. Let's see more of this and or, you know, keep it this way. I, let's hope let's hope after this nutty election, things don't go a little bit back more towards how they were. We'll see. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. Usually over the last let's call it six years, seven years, let's just call it, you know, we came into 2009, 2010, the market started to stabilize a little bit. It wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't falling or, you know, the sky wasn't falling. You know, it was, there was a little bit of a floor under it in terms of prices. They were low, but there was a little bit of a floor under it. And so, you know, usually by about the first week of November through, you know, last week of December, basically New Year's, if we put a house on the market during that time period, Doing the math over the years, we took about an eight to ten percent less in price than we would get if we waited until you know mid January, February to list it. And so you know that doesn't really reflect necessarily in market action reports necessarily, but that's the way I've felt for years. And so it, you know it's just a matter of of supply and demand. There's obviously a little less supply out there because most people don't list over the holidays, but there's also a lot less demand out there because most people don't buy over the holidays. But with the fact that we've had such a polarizing election this year, I feel like people have only so much bandwidth. And I feel like this election has eaten up a lot of that in people's minds. And they just don't want to mentally tackle a big thing on top of that necessarily. I mean, some people do, but I think there are people that don't of selling their house, buying a new one, dealing with the stress and everything that goes into that. I feel like it caused people to hit the holiday pause button a little bit sooner in terms of activity. And so we'll see how that plays out as the election's over and as the, you know, holidays end. But I've seen that and I, you know, I'm kind of verbalizing here on the show, but I, I think that's happening. I really do. And I, I'd be curious what you think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, we, we I think we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, this is not your standard election. In fact, I've joked that you and I, you know, for the next 40 years, we're going to kind of lament almost fondly of this election in that it, it's been just su such a circus. 20 years from now, we're going to we're going to be, you know, there's going to be another one of those standard elections where you've got your two, you know, puppets that are saying all the right things and doing all the right things and going through the motions. And they're, they're just your standard garden variety politicians. And we're going to joke and go, gosh, you remember Trump? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the Saturday Night Live skits we got to have with that guy? This sucks. So, I mean, I kid a lot there, but you have one of those types of politicians that's more of the same. And, you know, if she's elected, you know, you're going to have a very normal type of presidency. And then you've got this other one that's just a wild card that's just like going to turn everything on its end, change everything, build walls. I mean, you name it. I mean, we, we don't have to go into the specifics of the policy. So I think when you have an election like that, especially, I mean, it's the, the polls now seem to be appearing to be that there's a little bit more awareness of what's going to happen. But polls have been wrong before. So I think people, there is a, there is a tendency for people going, hold, let's just sit back and before we take that big house payment or before we commit to some new huge purchase, 
let's kind of just chill and see what happens here and and what's about to who's about to take that white house and how's that going to affect the economy how's that going to affect the stock market how's that going to affect the real estate market so yeah i agree this has been this has been an interesting one now here's a couple interesting stats within it beyond that because i think that's a great point that we just talked about but you know how much I love North Portland and we've got some pending sales numbers, 2016 versus 2015 for the month of September. Pending sales have dropped in North Portland 13.6% from September of last year to September of this year. Oh, now, wow. In that same month comparison in Westland and Lake Oswego, pending sales have risen 5.3%. Wow. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly what that tells you offhand, but I will tell you that I, you know, I think North Portland hit its pinnacle in 2015. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm gathering from it. Um, yeah, that's an interesting stat. And, and and when you when you look at that, also Milwaukee Clackamas has yep. a pretty big drop, and West Portland has a pretty big drop. Right. So you said you know it took two or three weeks to get that offer on that property. Well, Milwaukee Clackamas has had a 19.1 percent drop in pending sales from 2015 to 2016. So you know I think that. It's definitely pretty radically different by pocket, as you can tell from that data. And I think that's a pretty good representation of, you know, month to month with where we're at in any given year, you know, year over year data. So interesting. I, I agree with you, Tucker. I think that's a good little forward indicator of where things are really changing that just that line item right there, the pending sales 2016 versus 2015. You can see the ones that are doing pretty good still. Columbia County. Well, look um, at Mount Hood. Mount Hood, eighteen point five percent increase. Like, where the hell did that come from? Are they considering? But you know, I don't know. We've seen Mount Hood. Mount Hood has had some interesting data in the past, but there there's such a small pool of data. Right. I mean, that's true. Like they sell twenty houses, and <laughs> that's that's true. And it's, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, some of those other ones, Hillsboro, Forest Grove, Tigard. Wilsonville are doing pretty good. Yeah, you're right. They only sold 27 houses. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's skewed data. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we were going to chat a little bit about the hottest hoods. According to Portland Business Journal, they put out a little slideshow here in the last couple weeks. I ex actually shared it on my Facebook page. And they, they listed out the 25 or 26, I think, or 25 hottest areas in the metro area. And a couple of interesting things I noticed. Again, this is Portland Business Journal that puts it out. I think they have to go. They go off RMLS data. They, they make that really clear. And I think they have to go off the areas that are listed in RMLS. So I don't know that they're able to dissect things into you brought up like Hollywood district. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know if they can see data on just the Hollywood district or if it all kind of gets lumped together. But and I was surprised too, Tucker, that northeast inner northeast Portland wasn't well represented here. What I wasn't surprised was to see Bethany as number one. I mean, that's that's been pretty consistent for a, a few years now. Nine seven two two nine is the hottest zip code in the Portland metro area. I think it benefits because it's so close into downtown, yet it's along the tech corridor. Obviously, it's a nice area as well. It's It's got Forest Heights. It's got the West Hills there. So there's a lot of nice amenities. So I wasn't surprised to see that as number one. And when we still, in our business, personal business, have when, when we list houses there, those are the ones that move the quickest. When we are representing buyers over there, those are the ones that usually have the most competition. couple interesting things. As I looked at this list, 
most of the suburbs are represented. I mean, you see here, I, I, I think another interesting fact I should say real quick was Oregon City was number two. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was I, interesting. Yeah, I did. That's not something I would have, you know, guessed would be the case, but they have a lot of activity going on in Oregon City. You know City. what was number uh, four was FOPO, Foster Powell, which is uh, actually three. Number three. Is it number, uh, it's got Oregon City, Happy Valley, number three, Foster Powell, number four on my thing here, but. Either way, oh, three. maybe I'm looking at this. I'm I'm on the thumbnail version of this, so uh, yeah, yeah. So it's got it. List nine seven two zero six Foster Powell, Southeast Portland, yeah. as number four. We're obviously we've uh, we sold a project there mm, last month. We're doing another big project there right now. That neighborhood has changed a ton. We've talked about it on the show before, but uh, I mean that used to be um, a little seedy, you know, not too many years ago, and now there's there's a lot of redevelopment occurring there. So not real surprised that that's become you know kind of a mecca for you know hotspot. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the suburbs did well here. Again, Beaverton is on here. Tigard is on here. Gresham is even on here. Happy Valley is on here. Uh, Westland, Lake Oswego are definitely on here. Even McMinnville's on here. Newburgh's on here. Well, Lake Oswego itself was number 20, so it was way up the list. Um, yeah. Which is interesting as well. Westland was on here. Here was one, Here's two things I noticed. So as I looked at this list, I wanted to know because I saw most of the suburbs on here. So I was like, which ones didn't make the list? That, that, that to me was the bigger story. I mean, most of them are on here and the two that jumped out at me as not being on here. And, and I don't know how I feel about this, but it's just, you know, it's the data at per Portland business journal. The two that I didn't notice on here were Tualatin and Sherwood. Now are those indeed, you know, a little bit quieter and not the hottest suburbs of the Metro area? I kind of maybe could feel that way about Tualatin, but I'm, I'm I think not. they got Sherwood here on number 17. So Tualatin definitely didn't make it. Sherwood's at 17. And then they've got uh, Wilsonville at 16. Yeah, Wilsonville's on here. Yep. Which, by the way, I don't. That traffic on to and from Wilsonville makes you want to put a gun in your mouth someday. So I'm not <laughs> sure that that's going to be hot for very long. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that that was kind of what I had on that. Yeah, interesting to say the least. I mean, I don't know that I, you know, it's the data that they picked, uh, you know, the the more sales, the more heavily weighted and the more dense the housing within any zip code, obviously, the more opportunity for more sales. So I think the data is probably a little skewed. But overall, I, I think it gives you a pretty good overview of at least where, you know, the masses are buying. And, uh, you know, like you said, the number one, you know, you've had a number of listings in the uh, Forest Heights, Bethany, Cedar Mill area put them on the market, they sell like any split, I assume. So that's yep. probably correct. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, I think we covered a lot of good ground today. We're coming up on about our time. So we'll uh, wrap it up unless you've got any uh, last words of wisdom for anybody else that had a rough week of transactions out there. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. It's, it'll get better So at some point. <laughs> It's a, it, it's a roller coaster, man. The real estate roller coaster. That's what it is. Yeah. So. We're going to wrap up. This is episode 53. We're signing off. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show. And make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.